Welcome back. Today we are going to touch on a topic that we have talked before, talked about before, and um, actually we've talked about it many times before. And you know, I think Richard, I think you once said that um, just when you think that you have read or, or have written everything you can about ADHD, um, about a hundred new articles come out uh, looking at it in a slightly different way. Um, so we're going to talk about ADHD today because October not only is it um, uh, the month to raise awareness of uh, suicide prevention and so many other things. Um, October is also ADHD uh, Awareness Month, so we're going right. to talk about ADHD today. Right. You know, I think about ADHD when I think about this coronavirus, and you can see as as we look, coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen, it was a new virus. They call it a novel virus. Okay, so as we've been dealing with it, each month we learn a little bit more about it. Yeah. For example. If you get it, can you get it again? Well, you don't know until you do the studies, until you have evidence. With ADHD, it's been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And we keep learning more about it as we go along. Okay, And so, so you're right. Um, you, you think that the last word has been said on ADHD, only to discover that, oh, here's something else that we need to consider. Okay? Right. And, so, and so that's what we want to do today, is this is ADHD Awareness Month. So it's time to take another look at this thing, uh, especially as new information becomes available. Right. I think that one of the focus uh, points that we're going to have today is on some some of the alternatives um, exactly. as it relates to treatment. Um, but, but let's start with, you know, what is ADHD? And, and ADHD is a neurobiological disorder. I mean, it's a neurobiological condition that is um, brain-based. You know, we, exactly. it, right. they're, they're not diagnostic. You know, mm -hmm. when you look at the functioning of a brain uh, of, from a person with ADHD, right. and you compare that to a brain functioning, the brain functioning of a person without ADHD, they're different. Right, Again, exactly. Diagnostic, you can't, do, you can't do those scans and make a diagnosis from that, but they are different. Right, yeah, it's neurodevelopmental. We say it's neurodevelopmental, which means you're probably born with it, or at least born with a tendency to have it. Doesn't just because you have the gene for it doesn't mean you're going to express it. Right. But it's neurodevelopmental, which means it's probably present since birth. Um, not that it reveals itself at birth, but it's present at birth, and it's neurobiological. There's a, there's there are brain differences that we have found over the past gee I, almost 30 years now mm -hmm. that we've been finding brain differences between individuals with ADHD and those without ADHD. So. We don't really debate that anymore. It is a real, it's a real thing. It's a real brain thing. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, it, 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 nothing is added by arguing about whether the condition is real or not. Um, if you're arguing, you're not arguing based on biological evidence. You're arguing from some other perspective. Right. What right. is it about these kids with ADHD? Um, <laughs> well, they, they like to be on the go. They like to do things. They like to move, to do, to feel, and everything is exaggerated. All the things that kids normally do, kids love to move. All kids love to move, especially boys. Right. But all kids love to move. All kids like to do things. They want to get, they want to get their hands dirty. They want to, you know, play in the paint. And they want to, they want to do stuff. Um, what do they always? I'm bored. You know, I don't have anything to do. And they have big feelings. They have bigger emotions. Okay. And the problem is, is that they like to move and do and feel. But all those things in kids with ADHD, they all exceed the kid's capacity to regulate that stuff. Right. Most kids 
They have all those same things, but they're able to regulate them. You know, they have these inner, this inner, inner voice saying, hey, you know, you, that's enough. You better slow down. You better stop. Kids with ADHD don't have that ability to regulate those feelings and the, the desire to move. Right. Yeah. So and, and all of that is um, really that that inner battle between the, um, you know, the inner workings of the brain, sort of the, the, the one of the basic structures of the brain, the limbic system, which is all emotion and mm -hmm. um, reactivity and, and those kinds of things um, in combat with the frontal lobes, um, which are there for self-control and for, you know, all those nice executive functions that we think about as far as attention and concentration and organization and those kinds of things. And the, the, the sad truth is that the limbic system is pretty well developed, you know, right. very early on, um, whereas the frontal lobes take a long time to develop, especially yeah. in those with ADHD. Yeah. If there's one thing that I ask parents to try to understand is that, you know, that the, there are two brains battling with each other. You know, the top of the brain, that wrinkled part, that's trying to contain all this movement. But underneath that, you have all this activity trying to get out, okay? And because the underlying structures develop faster than the top layer of the brain, they sort of win this battle. Right. They're, they're, they're typically going to win until you get to late adolescence or early adulthood when the front of the brain really starts to mature and it's able to, to exercise a little bit of control over this. But still, with ADHD, you always have this battle between these these two um, uh, competing brain systems, and typically right. the emotions and the movement is going to win. Right, and remember that you know it, it's important. It, it's it's appropriate. It's you know healthy. It's what we want for the, the limbic system and some of those underlying um, structures to develop faster and earlier because those are the ones that keep us alive. Right. You know, exactly. um, it, it, it's much more important to be emotionally reactive if you if you hear something rustling in the bushes. And it is do algebra. And so we don't That's need right. that uh, wrinkly part of our brain um, necessarily for survival in the same right. way we need the limbic system and some of those underlying systems. So we need those, those systems to develop earlier. That's it's right. just that mismatch. Mm -hmm. and, and the mismatch that continues a little bit longer um, in, in kids with ADHD that, that creates some of the issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we, we would much rather, I think we would all agree that we would prefer our brains be able to recognize danger and react immediately, rather than be able to sit still in a quiet classroom. I right. mean, that's that's not that's no contest, right? Right. And so, so everything's working as it should, except that everything's moving a little bit faster, and they're not able to self-regulate. They're not able to rein in these these desires, these needs. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, what is it about these uh, these um, kids. We always say, well, ADHD is hyperactivity or they can't pay attention in class or no, 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 it's far more than that. Okay, that's the first thing. I think the important point to make is that ADHD is much more than just two or three symptoms. Right. Okay, because when we're talking about the cortex and we're talking about the frontal lobes, we're talking about much more than a child's ability to sit still or to be polite or to be able to pay attention in class. And there's a whole list of these things. We began with self-regulation because that's important, but there are a number of others. Right, absolutely. Including? Well, their attention span is shorter. Yeah, okay. it, it, they just can't sustain it. Right. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not really, a, and this is what parents really need to understand, parents and teachers and everyone else need to really understand, is that it, it's not necessarily 
or not necessarily at all, a, um, a matter of willpower. Right. Um, no, no. There's just not the energy in the brain to, to maintain and sustain attention the way that they need to. Right. As a general rule of thumb, we typically say that attention span correlates to chronological age. Right. So a three-year-old, three minutes, a four-year-old, four minutes. But with these kids, it's just shorter. The attention span is shorter than other kids their age. Okay. And not only is it shorter, but they don't have the ability to attend just to the important stuff. They, they attend to everything. I mean, um, many people say, well, he can't pay attention. The problem is, the problem is that he, it's not that, he, that a kid can't pay attention. It's that they attend to everything. They don't sort out what's important from what's not important. Right. Yeah. There's this really interesting structure in the brain called the reticular activating system. Right. And, and it, it helps control arousal and, and those kinds of things. But right. one of the main important things that it does is it helps to screen important information from unimportant information. Um, right. So we pay attention. And the problem with kids with ADHD is that that screen isn't working. So That's everything right. is getting through and everything is of equal importance. Right. The yeah, it's like a strainer. You know, the strainers are just too big in these kids and everything gets in and they're paying attention to everything. And that's why they're, they're that's why they seem to act like they're overwhelmed. They are overwhelmed. Right. Know, they get overwhelmed by the information. That's why, that's why you see in like this classroom, the kid with ADHD, that, oh. kid, that, that other kid across the room that's tapping his pencil, the sound of that pencil is just as important to his brain as the teacher talking. Exactly. That's a good, good analogy. Yeah. It's getting the equal amount of attention from, the, from his brain. Not because he's somebody's, to, but because it's, And if somebody's talking or the teacher's talking or kids are talking or somebody comes and somebody walks by and there's a bird on the window, they're attending to everything. Right. 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 And then... They can't control their impulses. We know that it's poor impulse control. So if they get an urge to do something, they're probably going to do it, to do or to say something. And part of that is the same thing. But when you when you think about those impulses, mm -hmm. um, my my decision to do something or my um, attempt to do something is just as important to do that as it is to sit and do what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you know, it, there's a lot of uh, relationship between those things. Um, there there is the impulsivity because they're not pausing for just a second you know ross um ross barkley ross barkley um talked about um ross barkley is a, a footballer in england uh, ross ross barkley keep these is, things uh, separate, separate files burning i know you know my my uh reticular activating system isn't working real well right now um but he he talked about he said the problem with adhd is time right. um kids with adhd can't take the time that they need to take to say, is this what I need to be doing or is that what I need to be doing? And because they don't have that time, uh, they, every behavior, every impulse is equally important. Right. That's right. It's not that they, it's not that they're not doing something. It's they're doing too much. Too much is happening. Right. right. They can't inhibit their urges. Uh, they get an urge to do something, they do it. And part of the reason is they don't anticipate consequences. They right. don't stop and think that, something is going to happen if I do this, right? The, the ability to anticipate consequences is a brain function. And these kids, because this area of the brain isn't working as well as it should yet, uh, they don't anticipate consequences. Right. And they also don't remember rules and procedures. They really don't remember. Um, and and people, parents will say, well, I told them a thousand times. Right. You can tell them 2,000 times. They're still not going to remember it. And, and, what, and, and the, the important distinction here is that 
they, they don't remember it spontaneously at the time when we would want mm -hmm. them to remember it. As soon right. as you cue them, yeah. are you supposed They're to remind it? Oh, no, I'm not supposed to be doing that. That's right. right. Uh, they, they, remember right for, they remember with cueing, but they don't necessarily remember because they're not pulling that out from their, their memory storage the way that that's we were right. talking to. And again, that's part of organization and understanding right. what's important and what's not important. Right. And I think that word cueing is essential here because you're saying I, they don't have the ability to do it internally. But as right. soon as they are rem reminded, they say, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about it. And they really did. Because short-term memory, that ability to remember that, is in the same area of the brain as all these other things, okay, right. attention and impulses. So they don't remember. Also, if these kids get the idea that there's some reward, yeah. they're going to get something they want, it will overwhelm everything else. It, okay. it will overwhelm common sense, sense of danger, everything. If, if they look at something and say, dang, that looks like fun, they're probably going to go do it. Because yeah. they're over, their brain gets, I don't care about anything else, I'm going to go do that. It just overwhelms everything else. Right, and we see this a lot in school, um, and, and we end up getting negative reactions to kids mm -hmm. in school because what happens is we say, and, and I, you know, it's so frustrating um, working in schools and seeing this happen, right. where we, we offer a student an opportunity to get a reward. Um, mm -hmm. They behave in a way based upon what, a lot of what we're talking about isn't, that isn't necessarily within their complete control, and then they lose the opportunity to get that reward they're going to react emotionally. They're right. going to be angry. They're going to be sad. They're going to be upset. And then they're going to, they're going to quote unquote, melt down and they're going to disengage and they're going to be upset and they're going to continue because they're disappointed with themselves. They're disappointed with the world around them that, you know, how could, you know, things happen this way because they're not putting those pieces together the way that we would like them to. And they're not, so they're not getting the message that teachers and you know, parents in these kinds of situations, the way that we want them to understand it, they're just not getting it. That's right, right. Yeah, and they're always, because they're, these kids are action-oriented, because their brains are so active all the time, they're always seeking stimulation. Right. You know, where, where's the next party? Where's the next kid? Where's, where's the activity? When they walk into a room, and you can, you can see this, when kids with ADHD walk into a room, they go to the most active part of the room. You know, some kids enter a room very slowly. These kids burst in and say, where's the action here? Right. And they go to the action. So they're seeking stimulation and they're very action oriented. So, um, the, so their drives and their needs and their emotions exceed their ability to control those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so it's a battle between these two brains and they just don't have the ability to contain it all. And right. because of that, they're constantly bumping into adult expectations. Right. So the adults expect a child to do this, whether it's a parent or a teacher. Parents expect the child to sit at the table and, and eat dinner with the family. Teachers expect the child to sit and do the spelling test. So we have these adult expectations, and these kids are constantly bumping into those adult expectations. Right. That leads to power struggles and, unfortunately, to punishments. Okay, right. Because the, the, the adult reaction is, I have to get this kid under control. This kid can't control himself. We recognize that. We realize that. So I have to get him under control, right? And that's where, that's where we get the conflict, is now you have this kid bumping into adult expectations. And, and that's an important point as we move on to sort of thinking about how we make diagnoses and how we think about um, the prevalence rates and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there are 
there are many who's, who, who don't believe in ADHD. And so we, right. we can already address the fact that, yes, we, we know that it's neurobiological, neurodevelopmental, and that is a real, real thing. But um, when, we, when we're thinking about the diagno diagnosis, it's, there's a few things that are really important for us to, to consider. And, and one is you, you really have to make sure that you meet with a professional who is knowledgeable about ADHD. Right. Um, and very quickly, let's make sure that we talk, remember that ADHD and ADD, they're the same thing. Um, they come from a different diagnostic book, but they, they are the same thing. Um, and so if you go see one person, you may get a diagnosis of ADD. If you go to another, you may get a diagnosis of ADHD. It doesn't mean that they're different. It just means that they're diagnosing from a different book. Um, but you have to make sure that the person that you're um, getting to do the evaluation is someone reputable, someone who is knowledgeable about ADHD, because everyone isn't good at it. You know, as knowledgeable as a pediatrician may be, there are many pediatricians who just don't really know much about ADHD. Um, and that's because in medical school, they don't necessarily get a lot of training in it. It's just depending on what, where their clinicals take them and, and the, the clinics that they work in, um, in their prep preparation, they, they just aren't really good at it. That's right, because if you just use the diagnostic manual, the, diag the DSM-5, there are three sort of three hallmark characteristics of this disorder. And yet, just a few minutes ago, we listed 10 different things that these kids will exhibit. Okay, so it's, it's more complicated than those three things, right? And so get somebody who's reputable, get somebody who, not everybody is good at this. Not everybody's good at mood disorders. Not everybody's good at substance abuse. So get somebody who has, who has experience and knows, knows about all the nuances of this disorder, okay? Mm -hmm. The second thing is, there should be agreement. You know, if you have one person say, I think your child has ADHD, be very careful. There, there shouldn't be any doubt. Typically, when you have a kid with ADHD, everybody agrees. The pediatrician sees it, the teachers see it, the parents see it, the grandparents see it, other kids see it, okay? So it's pretty obvious, unless it's a subtle attention deficit only, that, that a kid, and we typically see that in girls, that girls tend to be not as active as boys, so they might suffer in silence because they can't focus. But except for that, most everybody's in agreement. Part so of make the, sure you have that agreement. Right. Part the of the other thing to be careful of, I'm sorry? Part of the agreement piece is that, you know, from the diagnostic perspective, the ADHD symptoms have to be present in at least two settings. That's right. It has to be it present. It can't be right. just at school. There, there have to be issues elsewhere. Now, that, that, that problem may not be at home because many <laughs> times the expectations at home, you know, Right. The child can run around and do whatever they want to do anytime they want to do it at home. That, that may be the case. And so the parent may not see any of those issues. Um, however, they would see it at maybe grandparents' house or they may see it at church or they may see it when they go to the store or something like that where the expectations are a little bit more um, contained or a little bit right. smaller. Mm -hmm. And um, you may see them there. So, but there has to be that agreement in multiple settings. That's right. We see this in families of divorce where uh, parents will have different expectations. So a child looks like she or he or she has ADHD here, but it's not the child, it's the expectation, it's a difference in expectations. Right. right? right. And so, th but there should be agreement. Right. Um, also, remember that there, there are frequently comorbid conditions. You, right. you can have more than one thing. So you can have ADHD, but you might have something else in addition to that. So that's where you need a skilled diagnostician to know right. that there might be something else going on. Well, and not just 
comorbidity, but there may just be, it may just be anxiety. It may not be ADHD. It may be anxiety. It may be something else. Right. Maybe mm -hmm. somebody who can, who can differentiate these things. That's because, right. You know, that, that's one of the reasons I think that we went into working with, um, mm -hmm. into child psychology anyways, is that um, it is the, the complicated nature of working with kids. They don't have the vocabulary to differentiate between, oh no, this is an anxious excitement versus this is a hyperactive excitement. Right. We can't, they can't really differentiate that. And so we have to figure out ways as clinicians to, to tease those things apart. And again, if you see somebody who isn't very good at doing that, you're gonna find someone who, you know, will see some symptoms, throw the kid on stimulant medications, mm -hmm. but if the problem really is anxiety, you're gonna make the anxiety worse. Right. Um, and right. so they have to be knowledgeable about that. Right. We're seeing that now with um, autism spectrum disorder, right. where you see one or two, you see a characteristic or some of the characteristics of ASD and, and people are jumping to that, well, this child has ASD. Well, it, there are many other things that look like that. And so you need a skilled diagnostician right. um, because um, the ability to, kids with ADHD have trouble attending, but kids who are the victims of trauma also have trouble attending. Kids who are depressed also have trouble attending. So be care we need to be careful, we need to be knowledgeable. And the other thing is, like other disorders, this, there are, ADHD is on a spectrum. You can have mi a mild expression of ADHD, or you can have severe symptoms of ADHD. So uh, that's, a, that's another place where you need a skilled clinician to say, yes, it's ADHD, but they're very mild symptoms. Uh, or yes, these are, this is full-blown, very severe case of ADHD. So remember that they're all, besides comorbidity um, and competing diagnoses, they're also on a spectrum. Absolutely. So do we always, how do you make an accurate diagnosis? Well, there's no lab test. You know, we always say that. There's no lab test for ADHD. It's, it's, it's an agreement that, that the adults in the child's life make. They reach an agreement, they reach a consensus and say, yes, we all agree that's what it looks like. Right. And so, and, and it, it's important be, because of some of the things we were just talking about, it's important to recognize that sometimes the diagnoses are wrong. That's right. Um, and, and because they're wrong, um, that means that there's something else that's creating or contributing to the presentation of these symptoms. Right. And, you know, it is when we do presentations on this, I know that we, we often uh, create circumstances in our, our presentations to demonstrate to the audience that you right. can, we can create ADHD symptoms in just about anyone. Right. You know, if we start, you know, if we start throwing a whole bunch of things that are flashing up on the screen and we start talking about things that you're not at all interested in, and we, we're doing all of that right after, right after lunch, where you <laughs> drink a lot of water and, you know, you, you need to go to the bathroom, uh, you know, suddenly your ability to attend is going to be very, very limited. Um, and so, you know, relating that to kids, anytime we can, we're increasing or they're in a classroom where there's increased academic demands or when the expectations of the adult truthfully just exceed what the kid can do. You know, mm -hmm. how many times, Richard, have you seen it where people are expecting a, a six-year-old to, you know, sit down and, you know, be quiet for, you know, an hour at a time mm -hmm. and then they get upset if the kid is squirmy or, or screaming right. around. Mm -hmm. It's not that the kid has ADHD. It's a man that that's just unreasonable. That's unreasonable for most adults, much less a six-year-old. Right. Yeah. If you're not interested in the topic, chances are you're going to look like you have ADHD. Right. 
you know. Right. So, so there are environmental circumstances that play a role. Right. And, um, and we know that because there, there are regional differences when it comes to the prevalence rate. You know, there right. are places where the prevalence rate tops 15%. And mm-hmm. then there's other, other places like other countries where it's one or 2%. Right. Yeah, um, there was a study. There was a study done in 2012, and, and I'm sure, I don't think the data have changed at all, that uh, one state, it happened to be North Carolina, but it happened all over the country, had a rate that, that did exceed 15%. Okay? Mm-hmm. 15% of kids in North Carolina were considered to have ADHD. California had a rate of 6%. Right. Now, it's almost triple. Okay, so you have, why is there such a difference? Well, the difference is in expectations. It's, it's what, how we expect kids to act. And if you have higher expectations, you're probably going to end up with more diagnoses. Okay. Absolutely. So adult expectations is one. The other thing that I find alarming, that, that I've always found alarming, as we have watched the demands in school increase, so that kids who are in kindergarten now are expected to be able to read, to write sentences, to do all those things. As the demands of the curriculum increase, you're going to encounter more kids who look like they have ADHD. It's not because they have ADHD, it's because the environmental demands, the demands of school exceed their ability to do that. We're noticing that particularly in young boys. You know, boys with early birthdays are really struggling and they lose interest because they can't do the work. And so if you can't do the work, my goodness, if I'm in a class and I don't understand what's going on, I can tell you, I'm going to be daydreaming, reading something else or doodling. I'm going to look like I have ADHD. So the increased demands of the curriculum, and parents need to be very careful of that. Some kids are ready to do those things at five and six, and some kids just aren't. And if they're not, they're going to start looking like they have ADHD when that's really not the problem. Um, adult expectations. Um, as you pointed out, the, if a child is at home with her parents, she has one set of expectations. But you go to the grandmother's house, and there's another set of expectations. And so adult expectations can, can, um, can affect um, the, whether the child is able to regulate or not. Absolutely. So what's a parent to do? Well, well don't, don't go to Dr. Google. Don't. <laughs> we were laughing about Dr. Google last night. Um, yeah. We could go to Dr. Google, but make sure you talk to somebody who really knows this disorder. Right. Yeah. Don't just don't just look at the symptoms and say, "Yep, my kid does that." Yep, my kid does that. Okay, he it's must. It's not a checklist. That, that's okay. not that's not going to work because again, we can create scenarios, and parents often un- unintentionally create scenarios where where a kid will have you know most of the symptoms of ADHD, whether they have ADHD or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's really important to make sure that what symptoms you see in your child really is ADHD. And, and if it's only ADHD, like with the comorbid stuff that we were talking about a few minutes ago. That's right. You know, find out if that's what you're seeing. Is that all that you're seeing? Could it be something else, either in addition to or other than? Okay? Right. And you have to think in terms, we urge parents, beg parents, think in terms of involuntary deviance. Right. We all agree that your child is different than other right. kids. But it's involuntary. They're not doing it. This isn't purposive behavior. They're not doing this for any reason, for gain or for to torment you or to right. try to win these battles. No, this is involuntary deviance. It's, it's these two brains battling with each other. Kids don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to displease their parents. I have very few kids 
set out to, to, be, to, to display problem behavior. They display problem behavior because there's a difference between what they're doing and what, what they're expected to do, all right? right. So um, also we know, we know that you tell them a hundred times not to do these things, but remember you're talking to a cortex, you're talking to a brain that's not fully developed yet. Right. So you, you can't, get, you can't get, get blood out of a turnip and you're not gonna get self-regulation out of a cortex that's not ready to self-regulate yet. Right. And so, so that's to treatment, right? Right. So what do we do about it? Right. And, and we know that medication is, when, you, when, you, when the person truly has ADHD, we know that the medication is beneficial. It, mm -hmm. Most medications are, are most of the time when a person with ADHD is placed on a medication, typically stimulant medications or especially stimulant medications, mm -hmm. those medications are effective. They, right. they stimulate like the reticular activating system that we talked about earlier, yeah. that system works a lot with um, dopamine and norepinephrine. Um, right. And that is what is provided through stimulant medication. So mm -hmm. we know that those medications work, um, but medication doesn't solve all the problems. We need to also add in behavior management because just, just making a child capable of attending doesn't mean that they're going to automatically have the skills of organization and planning and anticipation and all those things that we want them to have just because they can attend doesn't mean that they're going to automatically have those skills so we still have to do those skills um, or teach those skills and, and engage in other behavior management strategies um, in conjunction with the medication right and what you and i have done is we've sort of added another layer to this because typically when you read in the literature you read google or wherever you go to find out about this best practices are medication and behavior management. Right. And we see that term behavior management, and sometimes that leads directly to reward and punish behavior management. Right. And what you and I have done in the books and the articles that we've written is we talk about parents teaching children. So, so for us, it's medication plus teaching. Right. Because the medication, the medication is only going to reduce the symptoms mm -hmm. so that parents and teachers can do their work. But it's still, it, parents are going to have to do many, many, many things to teach these kids how, because they're not learning it on their own. Right. They're not able to do it themselves. Uh, they're not able to self-regulate. They're not able to attend. They're not able to control their impulses. And it doesn't, those things that should happen naturally don't happen naturally with kids with ADHD. So parents have to begin this very complex task of teaching their children how to do things, right. not just punishing them for not doing it, right. but to teach them and teach them and teach them over and over again, over how to do it. Right, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's challenging. Um, we know it's challenging because many times uh, a child with ADHD has a parent with ADHD, which means right. that some of these things are difficult for the parents as well. Mm -hmm. But it is crucial that we teach those skills. Um, right. It because they're not going to just get it and we see this again over and over and over again where a kid will be on medication during elementary school years mm -hmm. um, and it's because at that time the parent can completely control whether or not the child takes the medication uh, right. but then as soon as they get into middle or high school the kid decides that they're not going to take it anymore and you can't make them take it right. and as soon as they stop taking it they don't have any of the skills because they haven't been taught um, how to how to regulate and how to manage those things and so now they are unmedicated and they return exactly to where they were 
right. practically return exactly to where they were, you know, all those years ago before they even started the medication. That's right. So it's not enough just to slow them down. If right. you don't teach them how to do things, teach them how to do things and help them do those things, you won't, it's not sufficient. Okay. Right. To, just to slow them down, just to keep them in their chairs, just to keep them doing homework, that's not going to be enough. You have to teach these other things. Absolutely. Now, in addition to medication and behavior management, there are some other treatments that are that are gaining a lot of attention right. and Fine. a lot of popularity. Um, right. and, and it is related to some things that we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, and so it is certainly important for us to mention them again here. And, and that is some of these alternative treatments and certainly alternative things for us to think about um, that are just really have to do with lifestyle. Um, right. and it comes back to, as we often say, those, those three pieces, those three life, um, lifestyle decisions that we can make related to exercise, diet, and sleep. Right. Um, those, three, um, those three things that we do every day, um, or we should be doing every day or considering every day, seem to have a pretty, um, can have a, certainly have a profound effect on the presentation of kids with ADHD. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying about you. You have as if you if you are the parent of a child with ADHD, it, it's far more than just medication and be and, and sticker charts, right? Or behavior management. Uh, it's far more complex than that. And we've learned over the years that there that it's important. It's vitally important for these kids to have a proper diet to sleep well and to exercise. And the diet, um, the diet piece is, is especially interesting because through the research that's been done in the past 20 years, we now know that children who have ADHD are low in omega-3. Right. We know that they're low in iron, right? right? That they have iron deficiency. So we know that now. And so how do you deal with that? You, you deal with that through diet, okay? We know that they don't sleep well. We know that they need to get exercise because of the way their bodies work. And so now the research is in, now we know what to do. Um, there's great, many talk, um, frequent discussions about the effect that sugar has on children, mm -hmm. okay, that, that sugar changes their behavior. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. Right, yeah. Let's it's not, far more complicated than that. Absolutely, because, so let's, let's, let's go ahead and dispel real quick. It, sugar doesn't cause ADHD. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it hurts me. We've been doing this for 40 years. We've been having this discussion for 40 years. And there's study after study after study after study. All of them say the same thing. Sugar doesn't cause ADHD. Right. Oh. It may exacerbate some issues. Right. But it doesn't cause ADHD. Remember that, um, it's, remember, it's neurobiological. It's neurodevelopmental. Right. So sure. Your kid eating Halloween candy isn't going to make them ADHD. Right. It may right. make them hyper. It may give them that that sugar high, but it's not going to make them ADHD. Right. Right. But you know, we're finally beginning, even as adults, um, to learn about something called the hot glycemic index. Right. Okay. And if you do the South Beach diet, if you do Amon's program, mm -hmm. many of these diets, most diets are about the glycemic index. And it's, right. not, it's not sugar, it's that any carbohydrate, anything that turns anything into sugar, um, 
some convert faster than others. Yeah. And, and we all know that, you know, there's, there's a difference between, between eating a potato and a potato chip because right. the chip exposes more of these carbohydrates that, the, the high, that are high glycemic index carbohydrates. And we're always told we have, you have to eat the right carbohydrates. When, when, when people talk about the right carbohydrates, they're talking about carbohydrates that are low on the glycemic index. Right. And so the problem is not sugar. The problem is where is a food on the glycemic index? Because once you ingest a food that's very high in the glycemic index, it causes your blood sugar, the amount of available blood sugar, it causes that to spike very quickly. Right. And that means that then the body has to work hard to reduce that, that um, sugar. You remember one time you were doing a presentation, you talked about it's not the sugar, it's the adrenaline. It's the cascade of events right. that results in the release of adrenaline. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it's, um, and it, it is, as we're, we're seeing here, it, it's much more complex than just sugar. Because um, you're, you're right, the, the high glycemic index versus low glycemic index. The other piece is, um, has to do with fiber. You know, right. let's think about, um, you can take a, 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 a slice of watermelon. Right. Um, it's going to be high in sugar. High um, glycemic index. High glycemic index. Or, and you can take some candy, also high, high glycemic index. And you might say, well, why is the watermelon, if we're just looking at glycemic index, why is the slice of watermelon better than the candy? Well, the, the watermelon has fiber and the fiber slows the, the processing of the sugar as it relates to getting into your system. And so it makes it to where it, it, um, your body doesn't respond to that as well as it does the, the sugar from the candy. Um, and the, so parents will then say, okay, well then I'm going to get fruit snacks that are made from hundred percent fruit. <laughs> that process takes away a lot Take of the fiber in right. the whole fruit. And so we mm -hmm. need to eat the whole fruit. And so we try to find a lot of these shortcuts and we think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to get these, uh, get these no sugar added um, right. uh, fruit pops that are hundred percent um, natural fruit. It's better than the alternative. But again, that all that processing, takes away some of the nutrients that we need to, to manage the way that our body processes the That's sugar. Right. There's so much to this that it's the, the, the simple reality is let's just avoid too much sugar. Let's just avoid too many carbohydrates because mm -hmm. by doing so, you're going to lead to a better functioning of your body um, and right. better for your kid. Um, mm -hmm. You know, vegetables have a lot of um, carbohydrates in them. But again, there's the protein um, or the, um, the, the fiber in it that helps us the way that we process it. So just eat whole foods and, and healthy foods. Right. Yeah. People are, people are learning how to read labels now. And, and there's this little thing that they do is they, they look at the carbohydrates and then they look at the fiber and they can subtract the fiber from the carbohydrates. And, but that's not the whole issue. The issue is fiber slows down the release of sugar. It, it slows down that process. And so, you get either a lower spike or a slower spike. Um, and, and that's what you want to do is you, you don't want this rapid increase that just, um, just uh, high glycemic foods without fiber create this spike. And when the body then has to return to normal, 
when when you try to get back to normal it makes some kids very irritable very fidgety very nervous it, it, because their body is going is trying to right itself it's trying to go back to you know leslie corn said it wonderfully in in, in her uh, the interview that we did with her and she said it's like stubbing your toe you know imagine stubbing your toe every single day you know how much it hurts when you stub your toe she said that's what you're doing when you're when you're taking in these high glycemic foods is right. your your stubbing it's like it's your butt it's equivalent to stubbing your toe every morning right something you would you wouldn't dare to even want to think about and yet we do that to our bodies right. so it's not sugar it's it's the it's the high glycemic foods and the quickest way to avoid that is as you say eat raw natural foods with a lot of fiber in them Right. That's what our bodies like to do. Absolutely, and and, and the, you know Ed Hollowell, uh, yeah. he has that he has a website, and he's written a couple books, Driven to Distraction, a few other things, and he says simple rule of thumb: take a plate, half of the plate should be fresh fruits and vegetables, and the other half is divided into protein and carbohydrates. So it should be half fruits and vegetables, one quarter protein, and one quarter. Um, carbohydrates. And you said that's a simple way to feed your kids if they have ADHD. Yeah, so they're easy things to follow. Right. Um, we also added a thing. Um, there's a there's a wonderful little article called Why Sugar is Kryptonite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so remember, for those of you, well, I think most people know that Superman, Superman's enemy was kryptonite that, that could reduce his powers. And so there's this uh, other article. Uh, if you're interested in this topic, it's, it's, um, written for the layman, so it's easy to understand. And it's about ADHD diet um, truths. And um, it's, a, it's a good way to get started if you're interested in um, managing your children's food intake. Right. Uh, but when we said earlier that it's more than just medication and behavior management, um, if you have children with ADHD, you are going to have to monitor their food, their nutrition, okay? Right. It's, it's an important part. We know that they have deficiencies in omega-3 and iron and zinc and some other things. And so um, part of the challenge of raising a child with ADHD is managing their food intake. It doesn't mean they can't go to McDonald's. It means they should be doing more than McDonald's. Right, and, and part of that is um, looking at, you know, that may be looking at food sensitivities. Um, exactly. We wrote a, um, a handbook for um, looking at using an elimination diet. There's a, there's a link in the show notes for it. Um, and, and we talk about how to eliminate some of the you know, some of the common culprits um, related to uh, food sensitivities. It doesn't mean a food um, allergy, you know, people will go and have allergy tests and they'll say, oh, well, he's not allergic to, to dairy, so it's not a problem. Well, there are sub-threshold, mm -hmm. um, subclinical reactions that we have sometimes to these things that, that aren't. Mine, for example, is, um, is gluten. I don't, I don't have, um, you know, I don't have any serious, allergy to it um something that would come up on a test or something but once i eliminated gluten from my diet anytime i consume anything with gluten in it i can tell there there is a change in the way that my body works the way that my brain works i i can't concentrate i can't focus and it is really really difficult for me mm -hmm. to function if i'm consuming um gluten right. um I, i'm you know i don't have celiacs but right. um but I, I know that I have a sensitivity to it. And if I had just gone by you know, a blood test to see if I was allergic to it, then I would keep eating it and my body wouldn't be functioning the way that it could. 
That's right. Yeah, there's this important distinction between allergy and sensitivity. Right. You can be sensitive and not be allergic. And fortunately, you don't, it, you don't have to test thousands of food because over the years we've learned that the most common foods that we're sensitive to are dairy, wheat, gluten, corn, soy, and eggs. Okay? Right. So if, or any kind of nuts. We say soy, but it could be any kind of nuts. But mm -hmm. so start with those, you know, and go ahead and test them. It's very easy to test, you know. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you um, just a quick story. Um, not long ago, um, I had, um, I, I, I bought some potato wedges from our, our local grocery store. Um, and it's just, you know, potatoes and um, some seasonings and stuff. And, you know, I, I didn't, for, for whatever reason, I didn't even think about it. And so I, I, I bought some of that and um, ate a bunch of them. Uh, they were really good. I hadn't had them in a while. And um, I, I kid you not, for three days, I could not focus. I could not concentrate. And my, my brain was just, it just wasn't working the way that it could. And it took me three days to, to finally say, there is something wrong here. And I went online and at, at the at the grocery store, um, and I looked at the ingredients. And sure enough, um, there there were wheat products in the um, in the in the seasoning that they use for the potato wedges. Oh, it was in the seasoning. And, yeah, and and it got me. And um, so I can only imagine and, and go back to thinking about how it was for me before I I cut gluten out of my diet, um, because I I experienced those kinds of symptoms. And I just thought that you know. You know, this is just part of my, um, the way that my brain works. This is just what's going on. I just can't concentrate for very long. I just have to make sure I really, you know, restrict the times that I try to do work so that mm -hmm. I can be optimal. No, it, it was because something was interfering with the way that my brain was working. Um, you know, so you're, you're, you're explaining this very articulate, very clear explanation of how it made you feel. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that you're eight years old. Right. And you're sensitive to, nobody knows it. Right. Nobody knows that you're sensitive to gluten. Right. And you're eating bread and pasta and French fries and all these things, okay? And you're going to McDonald's eating bread. And you're feeling like this every day, right? okay? And you're being punished because you're not doing certain things, right. okay? You, you're not focusing, you're not paying attention, so then we have to punish you. We have to take things away, okay? Imagine the anger that that produces in a kid who says, I don't know why, I don't know why I act the way I did. I, I have no idea why I feel this way. Absolutely. Why are you punishing? You know, I know I'm going to get punished, but I don't know. I can't find my way out of this because right. an eight-year-old isn't going to think, well, maybe, maybe I should go online and see if I'm sensitive to these things. Right. They're, 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 they're just victimized by it. Okay. Absolutely. Imagine the turmoil that creates in a kid. Right. Absolutely. It, it's, it would be, it'd be terrible. And that's why we talk about, and that's why we talk about involuntary deviance. Right. You know, that, that don't, don't think of this as misbehavior. Think of this and do your research and think about all aspects. It might be something as simple as gluten. Right. That's, that's creating this problem. And that's what I mean when I say we have to be aware of all of the factors that are contributing and exacerbating this condition. Right. Yeah. So okay. that's a lot about nutrition, the, the nutrition mm -hmm. piece, uh, of the, the, the trifecta. Um, right. And, but, you know, we have to have the same consideration for exercise. You know, right. we know that exercise increases dopamine, which mm -hmm. is what the reticular activating system works on. Which is what the medication does. What the medication no, is too, exercise right. does what medication does. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it, it changes the way that our brain works when we when we exercise. It we, we know from research that there are um, um, 
there, there are changes that happen in our brain based upon mm -hmm. that. We know that um, optimally we were exercising at a moderate level between 30, 30 minutes to an hour a day. Right. Um, that that's what is recommended and, and, and kids don't, it, there was a time when kids would get that kind of exercise at school every day and they're not getting that in, anymore. And so we have to make sure that that's happening at home. Right, right. And so, you know, think of exercise as medicine. Absolutely. You know, we talk about food as medicine because you're going to increase the deficiencies in there that, that kids with ADHD have dietary deficiencies. They have nutrient. Okay, so we have to make sure that they get those either with food or supplements. Same with exercise. Think of exercise as medicine. So we have food as medicine. Now we have exercise as medicine. And of course, the third in the trifecta is sleep. Yeah, so, and sleep is medicine. Can't, can't, oh, you cannot emphasize, you can't overemphasize how important sleep is. Right, yeah. So, uh, so these kids don't sleep well to begin with. Right, right. You know, they're, they're, but we know, that, we know that sleep improves behavior, it improves attention and focus and learning and, and memory. It, you know, sleep is right. a time when all those things are consolidated in our brain. Um, and, and kids need varying levels depending on how old they are. You know, preschoolers right. are gonna sleep longer. They need, you know, about 10 to 13 hours a day or a right. night uh, mm -hmm. in sleep. Um, as they get older, it changes a little bit. Um, nine to 11 hours or so in mm -hmm. school age. Um, and teenagers sleep less, you know, eight to 10 hours or so, but still yes. eight to 10 hours. Um, so if they have to be at school at seven o'clock in the morning, ready to learn at seven o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. that means they need to go to bed early. They don't right. want to, but they right. need to. And, and when you think about that, I, I think it's, it's a struggle for all kids. Um, with the preschoolers, not probably not so much because most preschoolers will sleep for 10 hours. Um, School-aged children, they start to cut into that required hours of sleep. Um, they begin to, to shave off an hour here and an hour there, particularly kids who are active gamers, who mm -hmm. are playing video games, they're in fourth or fifth grade, and they may stay up late watching TV or playing video games. They should still be sleeping nine hours a night. That means if they, if they have to get up at six, they should be asleep by nine. And I wonder how many fifth graders are going to bed at nine o'clock at night. Most right. they should be, but are they? Right. Teenagers are notorious. I think right. this is where this is where the wheels fall off because teenagers should still be sleeping eight to ten hours a night. And Bertie, you know that in our community, there are schools, there are schools that kids attend that you can't sleep eight to ten hours a night and get all the homework done. Right, because because it's you designed that way. Right, and because they have to get up so early. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And because they, yeah, they have so much work to do. Um, right. Yeah, it it's, wouldn't be possible. You know, if a kid has to get up, some of these kids are getting up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Well, if a teenager should sleep eight hours, again, he'd have to be asleep by 8 or 9 o'clock at night. How many teenagers go to bed at 8 or 9 o'clock? Right, they're still doing homework. And they're up doing homework until midnight, and they sleep four or five hours a night. Mm -hmm. So, in effect, they, they are sleep deprived. Right. And for kids who have uh, underlying ADHD, um, it's, it's, an it's a perfect storm. Absolutely. And they're not eating properly. You know, right. they grab a Pop-Tart on the way out. And so they're not eating properly, they're not sleeping properly, not getting sufficient exercise. Um, that, that's a perfect storm. Absolutely. So they need to so, practice good sleep hygiene. They need to practice good physical exercise. <laughs> they need to practice good healthy eating habits. Um, right. And by, by doing those three, you know, again, as you said earlier, the, the research is showing that th there are some improvements in, in right. ADHD um, when, you, when you take care of those things.
All right. So the message here that we want to leave today in this October ADHD Awareness Month is that no single effort, no single approach is going to be, we say, you, you can't just do medication. You right. can't just do behavior management. If you are raising a child with ADHD, you have to remember that this is multifaceted, that um, kids with ADHD have this brain that's competing. Um, one, one, one part of the brain is, is making the child very active and another part of the brain is trying to slow that down and they're just not able to do it on their own. So it requires that we, we parents and teachers do all these other things. Right. It, you can't just change a kid's diet and expect them to get better. You can't just let the kid exercise and expect them to get better. You have to do everything. It's medication, behavior management, teaching, mm -hmm. nutrition, exercise, and sleep. Right. So if you're going to raise a child with ADHD, you have, to, you have to put things into these columns and say, okay, am I doing everything this child needs to have a chance to succeed? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it takes, it's a task. It's a chore. It, it takes a lot of work and a lot of attention from the parent and, and providers to, to take care of that stuff. But um, by doing so, you, you'll, you'll see improvement. There will be improvement, right? If you're doing, if, if you're doing all these things, you'll see improvement. Uh, you're not going to get it by just medicating or just punishing or just changing diet. You, you have to do everything. You have to do all these things. Absolutely. So, uh, the links to some articles are in the show notes to, to uh, present some of the information about the, the diet and nutrition stuff and, and some of these alternative considerations. So check those out and let us know if you have any questions. But um, yeah, so um, I think that's it for today then, right? Nice to walk through this topic again. So Absolutely. thanks for the opportunity. Yep. So that's it for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.